0: Part of the white paper, what it says, is that you're a rational, uh, econ- you're economically rational, incentivized player. So you have your skin in the game in terms of Bitcoin mm-hmm. investment. So that means you're not incentivized to eventually kill Bitcoin because you will uh, lose your investment. Right. So I'm assuming not too many parties are actively searching how to uh, like break or kill Bitcoin because they would kill the- their ultimate uh investment
1: yes yeah this is or
0: their source of living
1: right hey everybody welcome to the what is money show i am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the collection of money Again, that's WolfNYC, dot C. W-O-L-F-NYC.com. Jan Chapek, welcome to the What Is Money Show.
0: Thanks for having me here.
1: Glad to have you here. Uh, we are sitting in Prague for Bitcoin Prague 2023, and you are the first interview of a lot of interviews here for us. Uh, it's a hunter. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, so... Maybe we could start with a little bit just about you, who you are, and your path into Bitcoin. All right. Um, clearly, here on your shirt, you're with, with Brains. Um, what, what do you guys do in Brains, and, and how did you come into the
0: so space? So, my Bitcoin journey started back in 2013, where we basically took over the slush pool and turned it into a professional project. At that time, Brains, our oh, full name, other companies, Brain Systems already existed. And we were originally a company doing like embedded firmware for like ECUs and most like uh, this area um, but when bitcoin caught my attention we were thinking this is a good point to pivot the, the purpose of the company and we really started like developing like uh, the, the pool software building support team it's it's important to realize like now everybody thinks like the bitcoin industry for granted like everything is sort of on the professional level but at that time typically a lot of projects and pools were just run by like single person two people no professional support no documentation like no high availability and all these things we have developed throughout the years um then we were thinking like, what would be the next uh, logical extension of our product line? So we came up with the idea of the Brains OS firmware. Uh, in fact, the the story is a little bit more complicated because we effectively had originally a deal with the Chinese manufacturer that we would provide him, them a firmware um, in exchange for some royalties. But that deal sort of fell through and we were sort of like left with this all work invested into developing the firmware. Um, and we were like, okay, we're going to do with it. And we ported it to Endminers S9s because these were the most popular devices at that time. And then turned it into what we call now BrainsOS. Uh, later, we came with a commercial version called BrainsOS Plus that had some special features to find optimum settings for, for the mining machines. And now in 2023, here we are. We are right now like 85 people company headquartered in Prague. Uh, we have our BD teams around the globe. The data centers for the pool mining endpoints are also around the globe, and we try to be basically globally present company. So even though we're, we're based in in Europe, that is not like the 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 the, the biggest place for for mining. Uh, I think we supply quite a few customers, especially in the US. Nice. So that's that's a very short. Version of the full company history and my my journey in, into Bitcoin.
1: I think you were saying yesterday because we did a did like a city tour and a little right. presentation yesterday. Roughly ten or fifteen percent of hash power coming out of Europe and maybe double that coming out of the U.S.
0: The U.S. is like thirty four, thirty five already, and that's yeah. that's actually an old uh, old number from from Cambridge Research. Mm-hmm. And it, what caught my attention was Europe, but it's don't think of this as Europe, the Central Europe, but it's probably mostly the northern. Uh, states where uh, there is cheap uh, geo electricity mm-hmm. uh, or hydro, like no- like Norway, Sweden,
1: gotcha, others like
0: this island.
1: Gotcha. And then you said you guys are focused on like the enterprise clients mostly, trying to deliver them.
0: We try to do like a mix of both because uh, the pool has originally been like the, the first Bitcoin mining pool, and there is a lot of like hardcore bitcoiners still mining with us just because we were you're the first political pool and we try to keep this narrative also throughout our, our other products which in the form of the firmware so we try to support the the retail users but at the same time we are uh, tweaking the features of the firmware also for the enterprise mostly in the area of like grid balancing and things like this there's no support in, in bitcoin mining machines that come with the stock firmware for features like mm-hmm. this for like fast curtailment and then bringing the machines back up in a couple right. Of seconds
1: right, right which is one of the big advantages of energy producers using bitcoin right they get that yep. interruptible load or dynamic right. demand and,
0: to- so. and typ- typically this is the deal that, that the big farms get with the energy providers that yep. in exchange for for a very favorable rate they're able to um, sell the opportunity of not actually mining Right, right right
1: <laughs> to be like the energy buyer of yeah. last resort, like we right, often talk right. about Bitcoin, right? All right, cool. So we've done a little bit of Bitcoin mining content on this show, but it's been very kind of 101. We actually just released an episode a few days ago, right. Bitcoin Mining 101. So you'll have to be uh slow with us here. We're trying to just kind of introduce this concept um in an intuitive way, but I thought today... As we discussed yesterday we could talk a little bit, a little bit about the game theory of bitcoin mining. And one of the big areas that seems to be of concern is this idea that hard, bitcoin mining hardware, the production of that is still rather centralized. Um perhaps that is like the weakest link in the chain of of bitcoin's decentralization even. Um right, where wh- how do we think about hardware production for bitcoin mining from a game theoretic standpoint and then where are we at today
0: So maybe a little bit of the history before we we dive into the present state it's important to realize that originally majority of the hash rate was based in asia or even more specifically in china mm-hmm. so at that stage of bitcoin mining and bitcoin mining should be considered as the ultimate Uh, tool to secure uh, or to ensure security of Bitcoin and it's not very very well communicated in my view because miners are like deeply into mining they don't really care that much about the detailed Bitcoin features and the users of Bitcoin are complaining about block space but they actually don't realize that the the uh, the heart that the ticking thing behind uh, Bitcoin is the blockchain, but the bi- the blockchain makes only sense with this huge computing power securing yeah, it. Right. So originally there was the big centralization in China in terms of the physical uh, concentration of the machines. And uh, historically, um basically one company evolved into the leader in in the industry which at the same time we can say this is a great success but at the same time it's it's a little bit of risk because the the company is uh, chinese based uh and most of the companies trying to build a competing solution uh, in the previous years typically failed and there have been various reasons typically uh the bitcoin uh, cycle has not been favorable Right. For for the development for them at that point, uh, but there were also other um, let's say circumstances that probably could have been caused for this. One of them being, for example, the over uh, and covered ASIC boost affair, where um, the manufacturer uh, in China or Bitmain they 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 had this feature implemented. In, in the chips but they were not really open about it uh, so apparently they must have been using it and let's not take this as a complaint but this is this goes back to the game theory that if if you have uh an edge compared to your competition you're gonna you're gonna use it you're mm-hmm. gonna take advantage of it but at the same time the competition sort of if they don't catch up if they don't find out like what's the trick really is uh then they're gonna lose the game yeah and Nowadays, uh, we're in a situation where okay, the hash rate is no longer centralized in China because of the ban, uh, but we still have just a couple of manufacturers that would be that could be called the industrial leaders in terms of manufacturing the hardware, and there are a few western companies including us who are getting ready and trying to enter the market, but one thing is entering the market and the other aspect is to get the um cut in the market and succeed in the competition with the the Chinese manufacturers. But I don't want to present this as like complaining or whining, but it's going back to the roots of Bitcoin. When you read the white paper, it's about the incentives. It's an incentive game. So we're strongly incentivized to enter this market because we as a company providing Oh, as an example, company providing the mining tools going from pool through the firmware, it's a logical extension that we should be providing the full stack going up to the mining machines. And there are other players that have sort of a uh, similar thinking. Um, another aspect that uh, comes into play with uh, with uh, the large scale Bitcoin mining is that uh, the big farms they. Uh, typically don't want to pay the big margin and have the variance in price depending on the Bitcoin exchange rate, right? Because producing the the mining hardware is pretty much fixed uh, price, let's say. Uh, if we account some inflation and supply chain issues, it, it varies a little bit, but definitely not in such huge spikes where the machine can cost, I don't know, from $100 uh, dollars per terahash going down to like $15 per terahash. That doesn't reflect
1: the... The true uh-huh. cost,
0: where the fifteen goes really down to basic manufacturing cost, pretty much.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What? So, but you, you mentioned Bitmain. They're yeah. like the elephant in the room. Um, what percentage wise? What are what percentage are they producing of of Bitcoin mining equipment worldwide? I would yeah.
0: say majority like 70 plus, I would, okay. I would even dare to say something like this. Yeah, 70%. And so
1: that's like a concentration risk in the marketplace effectively, that it's right. all under one
0: right. provider. And then you can you can dig deeper and say like, okay, what are the features of the machines? And there's also a big shift in the industry, which actually goes in the negative way. But again, don't take this as a, as a negative comment because it's an incentive for us to provide and it's an opportunity for us to provide an alternative. So. Back in the day with the end miners S9s, which is probably like 2017, um, you had the full machine. When you bought it, you had full access to it. So that means you had full administrative privileges. You could, if you wanted, you could like wipe out the machine completely. Uh, outside of this, uh, there were like bits and pieces of source code. There was actually even a data sheet for the mining chip available for download. Mm. So you have quite let's say almost complete information. And if you were incentivized enough, like we were, you could actually write your own firmware completely from scratch, which is what we did. But nowadays there was a big shift with with the latest generation where uh, the miners, by miners, I mean mean the users or the, the, the customers who buy the machines, no longer have full access to the machines. It's like you buy the machine; it has the web interface. You mm. can you can log into it. You can change some settings, but it's not that you can like directly log into the machine through SSH and like do anything you want with it, including flashing another firmware, an alternative firmware. Um, for that, uh, they are presenting it as a security feature where. Uh, in order to keep warranty and to prevent any issues with viruses or whatever, um, they will not let you boot another firmware using uh, secure boot features, which is a hardware thing. It's, it's a feature of the control board or other or the CPU that prevents you uh, booting another operating system. This is a common practice by some vendors of uh, desktop computers mm-hmm. where you can actually enable this feature, and that means it will not allow uh, booting something that is not signed by a key. And then, so the feature itself is very interesting, but the problem or what it lacks is actually the end user security. And what I mean by this is that you as a user have to trust that the manufacturer actually keeps the signing key, uh, in a very safe place. It, it is not going to leak. And you have to rely on this fact. It's not the uh, the opposite that they will say, okay, here's the firmware, here is uh, a user guide, or let's say a tool that will allow you to set or generate your own signing key, sign the firmware that you downloaded from us. And that means that anything entering your farm uh, cannot uh, infiltrate your machines should you have some, some network uh, mm-hmm. glitch issue, you know, security problem, uh, then then it would be a very nice user feature. Uh, or security feature that could actually boost, um, let's say, adoption or whatever. Uh, but this is presented in exactly opposite way, saying, no, uh, you're not even allowed to select this uh, signing or encryption key. It's like, we burned it into the CPU for you. You cannot change it anymore because it's one-time programmable, and uh, you have to stick with our firmware. And then us, as like alternative firmware vendors, or one of the vendors, we have to find ways how to boot an alternative firmware, which costs us money and time and makes it uncomfortable uh, for the user to to switch. Obviously we provide tooling that makes it quite easy Mm -hmm. and almost transparent for, for the users, but we have to spend additional resources on developing this. But then the outcome is that even though you tried to secure the the machine, there are still ways how to boot the alternative firmware. It's just more difficult. Uh, And the outcome is that you don't have anything more secure. So the only uh, scenario that's actually not covered is that what if there could be some potential software flaw, software bug, not even intentional, and this could cause some disaster because you have basically one manufacturer with the majority of the machines. And if, let's say, still the majority of the machines are running on the stock firmware, uh, then bad things could happen theoretically. And then we can still go back to the theory. So like intentional attack in this era in terms of like something coming directly from the manufacturer is probably not a high probability because the manufacturer themselves, they they have big stake in Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, right? So they are not incentivized to break it eventually. But I mean, it's still a company somewhere in China. You don't know what's going to happen if the government steps in if they find it uh important enough but they found it important enough to to ban bitcoin mining sure. because of the energy issues yeah
1: there so it's very interesting yeah yeah so there's a weird um i guess a competition of incentives as we've described like a an incentive game bitmain has somewhat of an incentive to get you onto their proprietary firmware that you're not Compiling yourself, so in a way, you're trusting Bit Bitmain more and more, and verifying less and less, right? So sort of moving away from the core ethos of Bitcoin. Yep. Don't you know? Don't trust, verify. And then you, there's a, a counter movement to that, which is what you guys are doing, right? You're letting customers, I guess, actually build their firmware from scratch, so to speak. We- so that so you don't need to trust Bit Bitmain. You can actually verify.
0: We provide the alternative. Um- Uh, There's one aspect that I need to clarify. Uh, Back in the day, we were a little bit naive guys uh, trying to find the right business model. So we were like, when we developed the S9 support, uh, we did it uh, like fully open source and everything. But um, with the upcoming generation, um, we have to develop the firmware, let's say, based on like full analysis. We analyze things and look at it, how it works. And then based on that, we write it. So essentially, the software that we have is a living data sheet for for the machines, Uh which on its own would be nice to publish in full detail. But in that case, we would be like cutting off our our business because there is actually competition. It's not just us, there's more vendors. So uh, none of these vendors actually do this. Uh, But what we try to provide are the individual pieces um, that would be published. And eventually you can basically build the full system from it. So. And majority of the risks actually don't come from from the that tiny Bitcoin mining software piece, but it's like from the full operating system because typically there are some management tools in there and things like this. And this could be the source of the security holes. Gotcha. And it's even worse, like when you cannot like physically log in into the system of the machine to even look around to to understand what's what's happening. And there was um, there was a bonus feature uh from Bitmain. It was advertised that it was meant for, for management, but basically uh, it was that Endbleed affair, but you were able to shut down the machines remotely mm. or the manufacturer w- would be able to do it. So and then they eventually removed it because uh, they say the feature is not needed anymore. But that was not a feature; it was like really a sort of a bug. Yeah. Uh, that that was in there. And at that time, they were still publishing the sources, so you could see the comments on on GitHub where they removed uh, that.
1: Wow, interesting.
0: Wow. So-
1: now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, the Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The gold investment letter offers a free version and a paid premium version. And I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version because after having read a few of these issues, I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high res 3 inch touch screen. It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's really a a brand new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock.
0: Insurance, you got to have some insurance. You got to, that's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance.
1: They should just call it in case shit. (laughs) So go to joincrowdhealthcom breedlove to learn more or sign up. And another, you mentioned this too, that there was a was an overclocking feature on these old Bitmain miners that they they themselves perhaps were using when they were mining, but they weren't disclosing.
0: Uh, I think you're okay. You're I think you're referring to ASIC Boost, uh, where uh, the. Maybe to explain a little bit from, from yeah, the let's background. Ex- let's
1: explain what that is. Okay, sure. So know.
0: ASIC boost is um, as an approach to design the chip where uh, you omit certain circuitry uh, on the chip, which still makes the chip possible to work because some parts of the chip are basically sharing the same logic. And by this simple fact, uh, you're saving up to 15 to 20% of energy, electricity. Um, so... The moment you enable it on the machine, you literally see uh, the wall power drop by 15, 20%. Uh, You can compensate for this drop and you can overclock the machine. Obviously it is not linear. So it's not like, okay, I I, am now drawing 15% less energy so I can overclock by 15% more with the same uh, power consumption as it was before I turned on the feature. Uh, But it's somewhere in between, let's say. But this feature was not advertised by the manufacturer and it was like secretly hidden somewhere in the firmware. And when we did the research, we actually published a a research paper on like explaining that, or we confirmed that the ASIC boost is present on nMiners S9 and actually works in terms of like proving that physically it is doing something but the firmware itself was not producing correct shares. so so whatever the machine was producing was garbage but it was just a tiny tweak that was needed in there and it took like a week and bitmain actually published a firmware that had this let's say glitch fixed and it was possible to to use the ac boost but uh before this um You cannot use ASIC boost without adjustments in the mining protocol, because the the advantage of ASIC boost has to be reflected in the protocol by the fact that you have to have some additional fields in Bitcoin block header that you're gonna use to generate work for the chips. This is a little bit of a technical detail, but it's quite important that the the present protocol until we actually developed the extension was not present. So that goes back to, I don't know, 2018, 2017 when it was said that bitmain and maybe some selected parties were able to use the asic boost feature by matter of what they called covered asic boost for that you didn't need support for the mining protocol and in fact i think they've been even using their own proprietary mining protocol in binary form so um after adjusting the mining protocol uh and us releasing the paper they fixed the firmware and then we were able to reflect this immediately in our firmware as well uh and after that like everybody says oh it's normal everybody's using asic boost Uh but if I was a customer who bought the machines before that Mm. and say okay so I've been wasting 15 percent of my energy (sighs) on, on a big farm that's a big bill right and there were no lawsuits and the reason being in my view is that you have no other party where you can buy the hardware from. Right, right, right. So So people were very careful about this.
1: There's a consequence of that centralization. Yeah,
0: yeah. And this was a a good uh, demonstration of what what can happen. And uh, sure, we can be sad about it, but I mean, if you're the manufacturer and you know that this feature is doing something useful, why aren't you using it? So they used it for their own benefit. That's the incentive game. You want to make more money than your competition.
1: Right. So by not disclosing the feature to their customer base, they were able to have this fifteen percent leg up in mining efficiency. That's that's which, that's that's what the story says. Basically. Which is to increase their share of global hash rate, yes. which is to increase their their market share effectively. And profit. Kind of, kind of, yeah, profit and at but somewhat paradoxically, in this sense, at the expense of their customers. Because they're both mining and selling mining. Sure. Yeah. If if
0: you're, if you you I can run my machine that I produce by 15% more efficient and I sell you the same machine at less efficiency, I'm yeah. still on the edge. And when I think the difficulty is high enough, I'm going to sell you the right. used machine and still not telling you that the feature is in there.
1: Yeah. And apparently not taking that much risk in the process because as you said, there were no lawsuits. There was no blowback.
0: Right. Which, which uh, to me is surprising, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense because you have no other choice where you go right. to. Right. You, it would be probably la- the last time is that you buy the machines from right. the manufacturer.
1: Yeah, so if it were a more competitive marketplace and there are more vendors to choose from, presumably there'd be more risk for a Bitmain to do something like that. Yeah. Because if they undercut their customers, they send their customers elsewhere.
0: And by the way, at that time, it there have been more Western players uh, producing mining machines and there there's none of them out there anymore. So... This could also be the side effect that they were actually successful in pushing out their competition Mm. out of the market because this advantage um, is something that other parties didn't have.
1: Almost like a predatory pricing scheme, something like that.
0: But it's interesting that the the concept has been invented by Sergio, the the, Sergio Damian. I forget his full name, um, and Timo Hanke. So all these guys, like it was like publicly known concept. So it's interesting that still the Western players didn't reflect it somehow. I, I mean, hmm. I, I haven't seen the internals of any of the competing chips at that time, but yeah, this could be one of the aspects that could have contributed to uh, the other prospective businesses going out of business. And again it, this is not a complaint that's a matter of fact it's sure. a fair game yeah and you're trying to do everything to yeah. uh out compete your competition and get it out of business right yeah it's sure. very normal yeah. uh, that's it. business way of thinking
1: yeah of course of course is this a form of market failure perhaps because I mean this is just free market competition that resulted in this this outcome. There is there seems to be a little element of deception here. I don't know if that I don't know if that quite fits the the description of free market competition. Um, and then the the second part mm-hmm. of that question is what actually does fix this because I presume what we're saying is well you need more options for the customer that would sort of resolve this problem. Yeah. But more options come through free market competition. So like are, is the solution free market competition or is free market competition the creator of the problem or is it both
0: i would say it's it's the solution and it's just a matter of time when uh, or it took time for uh companies to be in position to actually try to uh get into this game like for us we have been a very small company at the very beginning nobody knew us we didn't have the experience so like even in 2013 when i when i saw the the rise of ASIC machine, ASIC based machines. I was like, this is the thing that we have to do, but without any experience, without any background, without anything, it's sort of uh, a gamble, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like for us, it's a very logical extension of the product line, and I think now we're like mature enough company to enter this market. Um, and there are other players that that are trying to do the same. Another aspect is that. Um, Back in the day when the ASICs came into the game, uh, they have been developed on some random process node, I don't know, 60 nanometers, whatever, but it was still quite far from the cutting edge technology. But now I think the ASICs have sort of like filled the the gaps in the Moore's law Mm -hmm. where uh, uh, nowadays uh, the ASIC chips uh that are in the mining machines are using like five four eventually probably three nanometer technology and this is these are the 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 chips this is the process not being used to produce the chip in your iPhone okay so you're competing uh with uh giants like like Apple or Samsung Samsung has, is a foundry on on their own right um to have the availability of the of the technology so essentially getting some some wafers from from the foundry but before that they they even have to uh want to talk to you because Mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. some random crypto company Right, right? right, right so you have to convince them whereas the 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 competition Bitmain, they already have their skin in the game for 10 years, so they know them. It's it's much easier for them to deal with with this customer. So right. there are like obstacles that need to be um, jumped over, I would say, even mm-hmm. jump over them um, to get in the game. Yeah. So it's not like you will design a PCB and have it manufactured and you have a miner. It's really about the ASIC chip. The rest is very important. So that's why we were doing the control board and the PSU and all these different components, but in the end you need the chip, otherwise you will not be able to enter the market. You are not able, the the ASIC chip is not a commodity of the shelf component, you cannot buy it anywhere. If any of the manufacturers is willing to sell the chips, it's gonna be at a price where uh, it's gonna be economically unfeasible for you to produce the machines and sell them with some reasonable margin to have sustainable business. So it's really about having the chip in the house. And I think this is where the industry is actually going, where um, the farms eventually will not want to pay the huge margin for one manufacturer, but they would want to create like joint ventures with different manufacturers and having like, special deals, hmm. n- not dependent on the Bitcoin price. Yeah, Because publicly traded company, they're not happy with, uh, sure, sure. even with variance in lock in finding BTC. Right,
1: right. So so there's a lot of advantages to being big and having buying power in this industry. And that seems to be keeping out a lot of the smaller players or preventing them from establishing a toehold in the market. Is that a trend that you think will continue or do you expect to see some of these other entrants? Like we've heard about Intel and Block recently, um, perhaps making forays into the space. Like, Do you expect to see some of these other large players be able to establish a footprint or will it be smaller players coming in or a combination of both?
0: I think it's it, it, this is all going to be about various joint ventures. So uh, small players, definitely not. The funding is very intensive. Um, I mean, producing a mask nowadays is like probably like 15 to 20 million USD. It's just the mask to, to produce the actual chips.
1: The mask, what is this?
0: Mask is the like a blueprint. It's really made from glass different layers and then you use the EUV or other uh, sources of I don't want to call it even light because at these nanometers it's not even considered light uh-huh. but uh, it's like the blueprint that's uh, maybe a good analogy is the way when you produce PCBs uh, you have some 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 piece of uh, mask that is being uh, lit by light uh-huh. and then it's a, it's a lithographic process
1: okay So this is a template for producing the chip, okay. okay.
0: And that is very, very, very expensive technology. So um, small players, definitely not. Um, What I think is also important to realize that it's not just about the chip. So it's the most crucial and core and important component. But you also need to have the experience, how to design the rest, how to build it at scale uh, with a certain quality and things like this so there's a few players interested uh like you already mentioned them um but as of now uh there's no third party uh selling the machines i'm a little bit putting bitforay aside because there hasn't been heard from mm-hmm. them uh lately too much right. but there's basically two chinese companies
1: wow. two three so what are intel and block what are they doing where are they at now because it Intel was more of a story, it seems like, about a year ago, that they were really coming well, into the space. And well, now what is have...
0: publicly known is that Block has uh, purchased uh, the uh, the supplies of the chips that Intel has produced, so I'm assuming Block is going to uh, come up with their hardware.
1: Okay. So what does that mean, their, their own mining hardware? It sounds like it. To compete with Bitmain and such?
0: Yeah, or okay. enter the market, like yeah. competing... Competing means getting some cut in the market. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I would probably resort to reading their uh, public announcements about Mm -hmm. this. Changes occasionally. So this is what's coming, I think, now. Uh, And obviously we are also trying to enter the game, but it's quite
1: difficult, I would say. Yeah, right, for all the reasons you've outlined. Okay, um, so another risk, I guess, that comes with the centralization of this industry is the specter of hardware backdoors. Um, And you mentioned, we talked earlier, like the increase in difficulty of flashing one's own firmware that's sort of forcing you to trust these providers rather than verify for yourself. You also mentioned um, some restrictions that have been placed on full root access. Yeah. So that's inhibiting a, a customer's ability to do certain things to do anything with the
0: machine so if you decide to customize the machines uh i'm adding some additional software onto the machine that's basically impossible let's say if you had your own monitoring solution that requires an agent to run on the Mm -hmm. machine you can do it you will not be able to upload any 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 piece of binary code that you even develop yourself onto the machine without exploiting it and without like breaking in which right certain level is possible but it's it's an extra obstacle and it's not a standard way uh-huh. and what i what i am with like wondering is that sometimes i think people confuse like safety with security and bitcoin mining machine is definitely not a safety critical thing so unlike your car where it would probably not be a good idea to flash the firmware for your brakes uh-huh. uh, with the mining machine the worst thing that can happen is gonna you're, you're gonna like break it like physically uh-huh. it could burn out or it's not gonna mine in 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 the more positive scenario and the and in the best case it's gonna do something useful for you
1: what is the difference between safety and security
0: well safety is where uh, where you care about uh, human being lives right nobody is oh, a okay. threat you you're hmm. you're not gonna get hurt you're not gonna get killed that's where you speak about safety and security you don't want anybody to break into your machine without your permission or Breaking with permission is also kind of weird, but gotcha. nobody can uh, temper with your machine. Yeah. Uh, that's where the security concern comes in play. And that's where you want to make sure that at least the operating system um, that's running on the machines, putting aside the the mining software driver for the machine uh-huh. cards. Uh, has to have some track record. It has to be auditable. It has to be up to date, and all these kind of things. Because otherwise, I mean, the the security breaches are regularly published uh, for the operating systems, for mm-hmm. Linux, for Windows, for anything. And taking advantage of of this in in an embedded system like the uh, mining machine is is typically an easy thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, that's that's the aspect that they are trying to hide behind like security principles, not allowing it to fully work with the machine. Whereas I would expect another approach sort of like, what do you have on a cell phones these days? If you, not on iPhone, but on Android, if you buy an an Android machine from, cell phone from a manufacturer and you decide to run aftermarket firmware you can uh you basically confirm this uh terms and condition in the bootloader of of the the cell phone basically voiding your warranty but still allowing you to do your thing if Mm -hmm. it's the thing that you want to do so that would be also an acceptable approach Mm -hmm. because I mean after one year the machines are after warranty so Okay, I have tested them. They seem to fu- work fine with a stock firmware. I want to go higher. I want to go lower. I want to use them for for grid balancing, whatever. And I have, I want to have legitimate way, an easy way to to install the firmware. Right. But there's no feature like this because there's nobody pushing them really because hmm. they cannot go. The customers cannot go somewhere else easily.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's such a game of options. It's interesting. So if we back up a little bit and we're talking about like game theory, just what it is typically it's players are trying to maximize gain minimize loss and be unexploitable effectively and it sounds like the all of the centralization into a group like bitmain that they're actually maximizing their gain through things like the overclocking or asic boost scenario that you described uh yet they're exploiting their customers and so almost like playing the game again is it is it because Bit- bitmain is both a miner and a mining hardware provider that's creating these sort of game theoretic conundrums
0: i think historically this has been the case uh with the latest machines it's it's probably important to say that uh the asic boost is is a standard thing so sure. it's it well in fact the 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 machines that are out there now in the market cannot run without ASIC boost. So you cannot run them in ASIC boost less mode or whatever. It it has been a new feature in S9. And I I, I do understand the reason why you would want to have this feature switchable on and off because there are certain risks associated with making a mistake while designing the chip. So that was understandable. But nowadays it's everybody has access to to this feature on Mm. the latest machines and S9s are basically obsolete anyway but that still does, if, if there were, uh, let's say no alternative firmware providers, that still means that the manufacturer can ultimately run, um, let's say more optimized firmware on their machines than what they ship it to the customers. And when they sell the machines as used ones, eventually they will refresh it with whatever. Uh, again, I'm just um, making this up in a way, right? I don't know what the, uh-huh. what the real uh, state of, of things is, sure. but this is a possible scenario. Yeah, but that's 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 actually the the point where where um, we come and play, and that kind of um, um, fills in the gaps in the puzzle where we uh, want to be part of the incentive game. We're incentivized to provide the firmware because we make money on the firmware; it's it's our source of revenue. Uh, and we want to provide the best firmware ever. So for us, actually, the situation with the manufacturer that they make things a little bit difficult and that they don't provide uh, such a good firmware is actually mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So right, it's like right. both ways, right? Right. Imagine that they would be providing the the best, most optimum firmware, whatever, with all the features, and they would be able to reflect any change request from a customer uh, in within a week. Yeah, that means there would be probably no space for for their competition. Right so in in a certain way it's actually good that there is space for additional business and in my view it's just the beginning of of uh, uh, the new adventure of the new era where there would be more players actually entering the
1: market with the full solution Right, right now i'd like to tell you about our sponsor wasabi wallet with wasabi wallet you can receive send and store bitcoin privately in wasabi wallet your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay Server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay Server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. CASA makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, CASA provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today, to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. So yeah, there's a dynamic going on here where the inferior firmware that Bitmain was installing that may have served its own company's interest, right? In terms of not unlocking certain features for customers, whereas they themselves were exploiting those features or using those features. That action actually opened up a market opportunity for you basically to come in and provide. and others. right. So every time, that's good good to hear, right? It sounds like free market competition is working in that way. Yeah, I think the
0: system seems to be quite balanced. And maybe to add to this, uh, uh, part of the white paper, what it says is that you're a rational, uh, economically rational incentivized player. So you have your skin in the game in terms of Bitcoin Mm -hmm. investment. So that means you're not incentivized to eventually kill Bitcoin because you will uh, lose your investment. Right. So... I'm assuming not too many parties are actively searching how to uh, like break or kill Bitcoin because they would kill their their ultimate uh, investment.
1: Yes. Yeah, this is... Or their
0: uh, source of living.
1: Right. This is something we often say on the show. It's like the crazy thing about Bitcoin is that it rewards everyone to contribute to its success or proliferation. Yes. And so you, you're you're not really that's trusting. That's why when we say Bitcoin's is a trustless system, what you're I'm really saying less. is permissionless. You're trusting individual self-interest, right? You're trusting your competitors and customers, et cetera, to operate in their own self-interest. And that somehow beautifully inside of Bitcoin is aligned to protect the integrity of the system as a whole. And uh, that really seems like, just the key that's like the key element to the whole thing
0: that's how i see it as well yeah sort of the same thing a lot of people complaining about the brc20 if you want to open this or not but um i personally am not a fan of that feature mm-hmm. but constr- can, can we just
1: say what those are for people that don't know what brc20 is
0: oh so in a in a, in a short summary uh people who have uh noticed uh nfts it's sort of the the equivalent of this, but built on top of uh, Bitcoin right. using ordinals in, in the background,
1: which has sort of created a very contentious debate in Bitcoin because it's like shitcoining on Bitcoin, and right. it's a weird gray area now. But continue, please. I just so wanted so there to are a lot it. of
0: loud uh, loud voices out there saying like, oh, this is not a moral use of Bitcoin. Yes, but uh, I don't even dare to judge it if it's moral or immoral because. Uh, if somebody finds it profitable to 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 use it this way we can be complaining about it but we are then incentivized to either um let's say promote a change in bitcoin protocol that will prevent such feature and that means you have to have a consensus of the miners of the users not an easy thing to to do or we have to live with it and eventually think that if that thing is gonna show or um demonstrate that it's gonna be useful in the future, then it's a legitimate use case.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So I mean, I, I personally am not a fan of it, so I'm not trying to promote it or anything. I'm just saying uh it's a legitimate use in terms of what the protocol uh allows. And because Bitcoin is permissionless, it doesn't have any CEO who would make the decision saying, oh, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna ban this. Uh there's no way you can prevent it because it's the software is the law. Yeah. There's no other rules right. out there. Right. There are yeah. no moral rules. There are incentives. Uh economical incentives. Yeah. And if somebody starts acting irrationally saying, "Oh, I want to kill this," then yes, they can, but is it like economically uh convenient for them? I don't know, maybe.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we were just saying like as you were talking about yesterday and inspired a tweet that I put out was there's no illegitimate use of a permissionless system because who are who arbitrates legitimacy and uh, there's been a lot of it's inspired a lot of debate on twitter just that that tweet and i think that the the crux of the argument seems to be rooted in that word legitimacy it's is it a matter of is this morally righteous thing to do or is this like a legally allowable thing to do um one of the the turns that the argument took was like lying, for instance, right? Lying typically considered an immoral thing to do in most circumstances, unless you're, you know, lying to a criminal or lying to someone that might have intentions to hurt you, right? You might justifiably lie to them to prevent that harm being done to you, something like that. But in the legal system, lying is perfectly legal. Like you can lie your ass off as long as you're not under oath or under very specific circumstances. So it seems like this argument about legitimacy is—it's it, ambiguous. Like, are we talking about moral legitimacy or are we talking about legal legitimacy? And that seems to be around which this argument is turning.
0: And there is there is no legal framing. I mean, the the only framing is the protocol and the code. So right, really, because you, Bitcoin you have is to extra legal, and if it arouse it, then it's legitimate. Yes, but there is no Supreme Court making the decision if this was a, a legitimate use, right?
1: Right. So legitimate in that sense, code is law, and if you are operating within the boundaries of the code, then you are by definition using it in a legitimate way.
0: Right. And the Bitcoin is is, going to make the arbitration like this. It's going to say, this is crap. I don't understand this transaction. Just leave it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So then the mechanism to help people not get scammed in Bitcoin based NFTs or BRC20 tokens is what it's it's bitcoiners saying this is an immoral or maybe even saying illegitimate even if they don't mean legally illegitimate they might just mean morally illegitimate they're just it's like a campaign you're campaigning for people's mind share to help them realize that this is not as maybe not something that's in their best interest to buy let's say
0: i mean one thing is uh, speaking publicly about it, I think that's totally fine. Why not? I mean, we have uh, free of speech, right? So yeah. educating people about something that uh, you personally, I personally consider not as a very good feature is fine. And if I am, again, incentivized enough to be loud enough about it, yeah. that's probably that probably means that the uh, audience is going to be large enough and it's going to have big impact. That means it could reduce the use of, of that feature, yeah. So sure, right. I mean, these things are legitimate. I'm just yeah. saying that it's not possible to um, like forcefully get rid of this, right. except for changing the software, right. which which can be done. But there have to be some effort put out for this. Right. The question if if it's worth it for for some individuals. So
1: yeah. And back to game theory there might also be a silver lining here, like in some, po- some positive externalities arising from this ordinals inscription situation where this represents additional demand for block space, right? So fees are being driven higher as a result of this. Doesn't that push more development into layer two, right? Creates more demand for things like the lightning network, et cetera. So that would presumably push more capital investment and development mindshare into layer two which would ultimately make the combined network even more useful?
0: I think the whole picture is even much more complex, sure. I mean, any inconvenience, I mean, human beings are lazy, right? It's all about like automation. So whatever makes your life easier is exactly where you're willing to spend your time and effort, but you want to do it like once. So like improving layer two, for sure. Uh, From other perspective, um, there have been some higher transaction fees lately, which means this boosts the revenues of the miners, which means technically more miners are incentivized to enter the game. Mm -hmm. What that means, we have ultimately better security of the blockchain, which we care about. And that's something that's sort of still kind of being forgotten or somewhere in the background that the the main reason why uh, Bitcoin still probably hasn't failed is that we have huge amount of computing power securing the blockchain, which is unprecedented unprecedented for in, in other blockchains
1: right And we're, so for
0: me personally the the word blockchain has only meaning in the context of BTC, which is yes. an unpopular opinion sure sure. but uh,
1: no we, we share that opinion. We usually use the term time chain actually just to distinguish between all the other okay uh, blockchain buzzwords that have been yeah commandeered by various projects. Uh, that's a great point, though. That it's also creating more incentives for more mining hash power to come online, which is to create a more secure monetary network, which is to create more demand for Bitcoin. It's contributing to that virtuous cycle that culminates in number go up. Um, Same thing with the exchange rate. Um, can we
0: be sure that actually the current exchange rate is kind of like backed up by the um, higher interest in Bitcoin because of these? Uh, your C20s ordinals right. and stuff like that. Right. I don't know, maybe. It's hard to say. So right. you cannot just simply cut off that lag. If it was possible, yeah. it could have this butterfly effect on yeah breaking something else on the other side of the world.
1: Yeah. It's so, so it's it's interesting because it sort of frames Bitcoin as a very fundamental tool. Like I I like the analogy of the hammer, right? Like you can a hammer can be used to do something constructive like build a house or you can do something destructive like bash someone's skull in that doesn't make a hammer moral or immoral right it's amoral it's it's agnostic of human morality it's the morality is imputed into the tool
0: and who uses it yes how?
1: by the wielder and so we're saying the same thing with bitcoin it's like what, bitcoin doesn't give a shit like moral immoral mate you could use it for pr- presumably immoral immoral purposes right if you're selling a brc20 token or whatever scam you're creating on it. But that doesn't mean Bitcoin is immoral in any way. It's just, again, it's agnostic to the whole thing. So I don't know. It seems di- it seems difficult to kind of get that in our mind. We're always trying to... Everyone's looking at Bitcoin as if... They're, however they're using it is what Bitcoin is to them. And then if someone's using it differently, then they, they might pass a judgment on others the way they're using it. But I don't know that that makes... I mean, I guess it still makes sense. Like you could judge someone for using a hammer to kill someone, but you're probably not going to petition for criminalizing hammers. No. All right, that wouldn't make any sense. So.
0: Then you would have to ban all the knives and things and like that. Then we'd have no
1: houses. houses. Yeah, exactly. So
0: A lot of dangerous uh, objects around us that can kill people. Yes. including right? cars. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, maybe, an, uh, I think Max Kaiser says, like you don't change Bitcoin, but Bitcoin changes you. Mm-hmm. Right? so that that kind of reflects what what we just summarized that um, if there is something let's say negative is happening in the market like this we have full blocks then we're making more money on on the mining side makes us yeah. uh, you know eligible for improving the infrastructure because we have the capital let's say by we i mean the miners yes. uh, and on this side you can you can promote the the development on layer two whatever so like even Um, negative things are actually uh, things that have positive impacts
1: yes right yeah it's kind of like the yin and yang thing right and every every good act there's a seed of evil and every evil act there's a seed of good another uh, silver lining perhaps that came from this was the entire debate about was the block subsidy what were we going to need to fork bitcoin and create some permanent inflation because transaction fees wouldn't be sufficient to secure the network. Oh, we have just
0: long- seen it. It was a good demonstration, right?
1: Right. Well, that that debate is just gone now, right? Like no, one, because transaction fees have become so high recently that it seems much more obvious that transaction fees will be sufficient to secure the network in the long run for Bitcoin. Whereas prior to all of this ordinals and inscriptions debacle, there was, there was a big cohort of people arguing that, no, you needed to create some permanent block subsidy to keep the network secure. Not It's not something that I think many Bitcoiners seriously bought into because once you, obviously once you open that Pandora's box, it's like, well, what's the right inflation rate? Is it 0.1%, is it 1%, is it 10%? It's just, once you compromise the supply fixity of Bitcoin, I think it's a real problem. But there was a serious debate going on about that prior to this, but now that debate seems to have gone away.
0: Yeah, and I I think this is never gonna go through, but never say never, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about um, one other thing you brought up. So the reasoning behind stratum v2, why this upgrade was needed. What, first of all, what is that? What is stratum v2? How does it relate to everything we've been talking about and why was the upgrade?
0: So let's go back to stratum v1, which was not known as stratum v1, but we need to add this attribute. So the stratum mining protocol, so it's a protocol used between the mining machine and the pool uh, and it's used to distribute the mining jobs to the machines and to submit the results to oversimplify it and to do a little bit of configuration if you want if you're running asic boost which is nowadays um, the standard um, so this is a reporting mechanism. It's it's a it's a communication protocol between okay. between the machines. Uh, you can think of it as a let's say an API between the, the pool and the machine. Okay. And the machine is asking. So the machine subscribes to the pool, asks for the job, and the pool regularly sends a new job. Whenever the machine finds a result for for the mining job, not it doesn't have to be block, but. It, it can be anything that fulfills the difficulty of the job mm-hmm. assigned to you by the pool. It submits the result. The problem of the protocol is that it's completely uh, plain text, unencrypted. So you can, if you tap into the network where the miner is operating, into a router, and if you dump the communication, you can just really see what's happening there. And because the protocol is uh, quite simple, you can easily divert part of the hash rate to your to your endpoint. As a hash rate stealer, let's okay. say. So this was th- these were like real cases happening uh, when smaller operations were using, uh, let's say, some random like TP-Link routers, and these typically have some security problems if you don't keep the firmware up to date, and there were viruses actually uh, getting into into these routers. They're typically available on the internet. Like, there's just bots scanning oh. the, the internet trying to find these routers uh, with their security holes. And it was so simple to detect the hash rate that, so why wouldn't the virus steal a little bit of the hash rate, not like 100%. So that was one aspect, like completely insecure. Second, because it was a text based protocol, or to be more specific, it was JSON. Um, uh, it was a bit inefficient. There was a lot of text uh, in the messages that wouldn't have to be there. And that's mm-hmm. a lot of bytes being wasted, like terabytes mm-hmm. of data going back and forth that wouldn't have to be there if the protocol was using some simple, more more standardized approach, let's say binary. Uh, and third aspect was that the protocol itself um, had some uh, performance issues that could be reflected by coming up with a new protocol. So these, uh, one one aspect being, for example, the distribution of the block template when a new block is found in the network. What happens is the moment the pool sees a new block in the network, not not necessarily found by the pool, it has to distribute an empty block template because it takes seconds to generate the full template with transactions, but the machines You can think of them as racing cars they're like running full speed Mm -hmm. you cannot stop the machine to stop hashing that takes seconds to ramp down and seconds to ramp up it's not very good for the hardware also to to do the full power cycle because it's like a heat cycle stressing out the pcbs so um the machines have to hash all the time once once you start them up so what what happens when the uh when the pool sees a new block it sends us sends an empty block template and this is an aspect that could be uh optimized if you let's say have like two block template candidates and once a new block is found you send the alternate block template if it's still valid so that's something that we addressed uh in the new protocol the security aspect has been also addressed um we're using noise, which is a noise protocol framework. So the, so the security protocol has been, used, has, has been developed using the noise um, uh, framework, which is, for example, used in Signal or in WhatsApp. Uh, the analogy is like you're accessing your bank through HTTPS. So uh, you have a root certificate of the pool And the server that you're connecting to uh, provides the certificate and you just verify that it's signed by the pool. The pool certificate can be downloaded from the website. It's it's like a a small string that you just add to the URL when you set up the miner. So the security aspect has been addressed. Um, Then we looked at the efficiency in terms of data bandwidth. So uh, the obvious uh, approach was to switch it to binary protocol. That's what we did. Um, And then uh, the third thing I already explained with the block templates, and actually there's a fourth fourth feature that is kind of like unmatched in the old protocol, and that is uh, there is a dedicated sub-protocol meant for miners to actually negotiate uh, their own block template. So you can think of it as if it's not the pool generating the full block template and then sending you the job based on this block template, because it's one megabyte is pretty big right mm. so you don't you don't want the, this to be shipped to the miners. Um, but uh, in addition to this um, you were able with the new protocol to run your own Bitcoin node that's currently being developed by the open source uh, initiative behind stratum v2. We're just part of the committee but we're not like actively uh, pushing our uh changes in the protocol. Um, and this protocol allows, the miners to select their own set of transactions and only send, send it to the pool for approval. But in the meantime, they can already mine on top of that. Mm. Um, this feature may sound a little bit like over-engineered, but it's there uh, to for us to be ready just in case like regulations step in, where for example, the pool operators would not be able, like legally able to provide you uh, like full uh, block templates with uh, the transaction that they select because of various OFACs and whatever restrictions Mm -hmm. may come in the future. So this is like the, I don't wanna say this is the killing feature, but this is one of the features that caught quite a bit of attention uh, when we came up with the idea.
1: So in in the context of our discussion today, like game theory, what were the impacts of this upgrade? Like, why was it needed? What, how did it change the game for miners and or, or hardware um, providers?
0: We were actually quite pragmatic about this. Uh, when we were developing the commercial version of BrainOS, OS, um, the, the business model works like this. Uh, you install the firmware, um, and then uh, when you run it uh, on your machine, part of the hash rate we call it a fee, goes to us and we needed a secure channel for this and we were like let's not keep this for ourselves but let's like bring something back to the world and we decided okay let's look at the, the mining protocol let's design a new one and use it for our own business use case but give it to the community because then the the, ma- the mining machine except for the def fee hash rate that goes to to our accounts has the legitimate hash rate or the user hash rate which is uh, the rest after subtracting the def fee uh going to their end pool or whatever the endpoint mm-hmm. is. Um and that can be also used uh for this. So we were like, okay, if we're designing this, it doesn't make sense to really to keep it for ourselves. So we were like, let's let's upgrade and provide it to the community. So now the situation is that there is an open source initiative. That took over the development. So basically, now the sources are we, we provided the original reference implementation back in twenty, uh, I think nineteen. Um, but now they have a new independent implementation in Rust programming language, and it looks like uh, there's already one pool supporting, and there's going to be more uh, players. What is still a little bit of an obstacle is that the manufacturers are a little bit hesitant in, in implementing it in their stock firmware, which is actually an advantage to us because mm. we provide it natively in our firmware. Um, but I kind of do, do understand the reasons uh, because the uh, CG minor code base is very complicated to adapt uh, mm. a new protocol like this. But there is an alternative uh, for the existing machines that are not running alternative firmwares. And that is, they can run uh, an aggregating proxy on site. That, that means that the machines locally are connecting to this proxy. That proxy aggregates all the hash rate. And then it can use the Stratum V2 secure connection upstream.
1: Mm. Interesting. Okay, well, this has been uh <laughs> that was a little bit longer contribution to the topic, but... No, 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 I appreciate it. It's yeah, a, a bit technical, but um, comprehensive. <clears throat> this has been great. Um, I think it's very important for people to think about Bitcoin mining. Like Bitcoin doesn't... That's where the rubber meets the road, right? It's, it is the business of Bitcoin, basically. So I think this is a really good discussion, hopefully useful and valuable for people. Uh, I've kept you long enough, and we've got a conference to get to. So... I appreciate you doing this. Uh, Could you please let my audience know where they could find you on the internet?
0: They can find me on Twitter, on Jan Brains. Uh, They can find me on Telegram, Jan Brains as well. And they can send me an email at at jan.brains.com.
1: Awesome. Jan, thank you for doing this.
0: Thank you for having me.